My name is Kevin Gallenhorst. Thank you all for being with us here tonight. If you could stick around as long as you can, we're glad to have a presentation, but really look for what's on your mind as well with any questions you may have of our panel. Uh, and um, again, I'm the new geospatial director here at T-Rex. I just came on board after Labor Day. And so uh, really look forward to focusing on this quarter, October, November, December, uh, this challenge that we're all gonna be facing here with disasters, with the weather and the challenges that mother nature sends our way. And so tonight we wanted to kick it off with uh, a couple panelists uh, to represent their organizations to start this series of uh, events. Um, so I will give a little more background and then ask uh, both Brian Holscher and Matt Duke uh, just to uh, give a brief introduction about themselves and their organizations. We're gonna talk a little bit about the geospatial capabilities that their organizations use to get after their mission and inform um, the, you know, the public and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about the future and how any challenges from the climate, from the weather, uh, may uh, challenge us and what we might be uh, looking for for the future as well. Um, I also wanted to kind of quickly highlight before we get started to the meat of the discussion tonight is that it, um, to mention that I'm part of a Hire Your Heroes program, uh, a DOD skill bridge program that allows uniformed service members from the military to uh, serve with a nonprofit company uh, or organization for a 12-week period. And if you'd like to know more about that, we're going to have a special session uh, later this month on Wednesday, the 25th of October. So, um, you know, we welcome you to ask any questions one by one, but uh, come to that forum to learn more. I also want to uh, say special thanks to um, Mrs. Patty Hagen, the director from uh, T-Rex here tonight, uh, and the, the other staff members here. Uh, please let us know any questions you have about uh, T-Rex, of course. Uh, then also for Adam Simmons, uh, for all the support for the event and in the past and in the future uh, with his Project Geospatial. So if you have not used Project Geospatial as a resource, please check it out. And this session tonight will be is being recorded and will be available um, uh, shortly. So for for now, uh, I'll focus on my task at hand for the, tonight's Geosaurus. And I have a couple last uh, um, uh, admin announcements here. So. We have made time for uh, questions. We did have a third panelist for the Missouri Department of Trans Transportation. Couldn't be in person. Uh, Adam, thank you again for trying really hard to have a virtual attendee, uh, but we will look for November, December as we continue this discussion about disaster preparation and response and recovery from disasters uh, for the Missouri Department of Transportation, uh, Mr. Michael White to potentially join us here in person. We have the Geosaurus Unleashed on the second Wednesday of every month. We always welcome any ideas or input in the new year, we're looking for a new theme and a new strategic partner to, to have uh, these quarterly three sessions uh, at a time. So if you have any recommendations or any organizations that would like to be involved, uh, the goal would be to have a uh, government organization, academia, uh, and then industry. Whether it be entrepreneurs, startups, which is a special focus here for T-Rex, or small businesses that are partnering with uh, medium and large size companies here to support the, the community, the region, uh, and the nation. All right, last couple things. Uh, T-Rex does send out a monthly newsletter. We have Noah here, our marketing director. And, um, you know, we have opportunity for members of T-Rex to publicize events that are coming up um, uh, there. So if you would like to get the newsletter, please let us know and we'll get you on the distro. Uh, we're also on the main social media platforms, LinkedIn, X, formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So feel free to follow us there to keep up with uh, any uh, future events. And then finally, we would normally follow tonight with tomorrow night being Agritech Thursday, 
taking a pause for this month, but again, uh, we really look for the second Wednesday and, and Thursday to be both Geosaurus Unleashed and Agritech Thursdays in the future. So with all of the background, thank you all again for being here and taking time out of your evening. Uh, I'd like to start with a little background. Um, and what we had initially planned to go down the row and, and do intros and talk about the organization and then kind of talk a little more about geospatial capabilities for each organization. But we're gonna you know, kind of mix things up and I'm gonna start with Brian and he's gonna give his personal background, uh, how long you've been with Metro Metropolitan Sewer District, a little bit about the organization, and then some of the geospatial capabilities you use, and then um, look into the future, right? So, and and, um, and appreciate you being here tonight, representing what you're doing here in the city, uh, St. Louis County and the region. So Brian, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Thank you, uh, Kevin. So um, about me, okay. Uh, graduated from Washington University here in St. Louis, uh, came to MSD uh, in 1995. Prior to that, I was the area manager for one of the ACOM companies, the consulting engineers. Uh, started at MSD. I've had five positions since I've been there. Manager, construction, assistant director, director, and now I've been executive director for 10 and a half years. And I've got eight months and 20 days left till I retire. So that's kind of my history as to, to how I got here. Um, what MSD is. So uh, MSD is a uh, public entity that's created under provision of the state constitution. Um, it was put in place by the voters. We're able to serve the city and county of St. Louis. Uh, however, we only serve those areas who ask to be annexed into our utility. We don't go out and ask folks to be part of that. Um, we do have the fourth largest wastewater and stormwater system in the country. We obviously don't have the fourth population, but uh, that amount of pipe has to do with, I think everybody's aware here, kind of the fractured nature of the way the area developed. Uh, MSD's service area one time was serviced by 79 wastewater utilities in a 520 square mile area. So you can just imagine what that looked like. Um, and unfortunately on the wastewater system, the amount of pipe is what drives a lot of the work we have to do to meet the Clean Water Act. Uh, again, uh, right now we have about a 520 square mile service area. It's all the city of St. Louis, about 90% of St. Louis County, out to about 109 in Wildwood. So if you took a look at the geography and see what it looks like, you go west of 109, everything kind of falls towards Pacific and Eureka, doesn't fall towards us. So that's that's the limit of our boundaries. 1.3 million customers, about 1,000 employees, and we have a six-member board of trustees. Three are appointed by the mayor, three are appointed by the county executive. Um, once appointed, then they can't be removed, and they're actually very good at what they do. Um, you can imagine that care that three and three was at the time, if you think about it, in 1954 when the city was the economic driver of the area, and now it's switched around, and to their credit, we've maintained that three and three mix, and it actually works pretty well. Good. Well, I will highlight when you got custom up of MSD, what you do. Uh, Brian, uh, is there some background on geospatial APAs that you use for planning, uh, monitoring operations day to day, and then also communicating with uh, how do you, you, and you don't have to go into detail, but uh, uh, do you have a specific uh, part of your organization that focuses on that? Yeah, we have, uh, we actually have a GIS department that's within our engineering, a GIS group that's in our engineering department. Um, there's a lot of, and understand I'm old, so exactly what all they do, I'm not completely sure, but the piece I'm really aware of, 
uh, is we use a radar rainfall mechanism with GIS. So we've got rain gauges set around. We take the reflection coming off of the radar. We com uh, we uh, calibrate that with what we see on the um, on the different rain gauges, and then they go through a calculation. It allows us during any certain storm to understand the rainfall events in very small, discrete areas, which is really important for us. And then it allows us to recreate and just model, okay, did the system work correctly? Should it have flooded here? Should it not have flooded here? What are we looking at? So that's probably the biggest mechanism. Um, I'll, I'll get into later exactly what MSD does, I think I mentioned wastewater and stormwater, but it's stormwater drainage. So uh, we are not the flood control entity. That's the city of St. Louis, that's Valley Park and their levy, that's the, the levees and flood control along the Missouri River, it's the individual floodplain managers throughout the area. MSD has a role in providing funding, but most of our reaction to flooding events is usually after the fact, understanding what happened, uh, when and if eventually, I'll get into this later, funding becomes available, the St. Louis can do something with that, we would. MSD is set up to help provide kind of a region-wide resource or planning effort. Right now, the funding's just not there. Um, but we're keeping track of that data, and we're making sure we track and, and understand what exists. And so the geospatial helps us whenever we can on after-the-fact stuff to understand what the impact of events were. Building opposite real folks on water, air natty, and with wind and the fire to the climate and things. And you mentioned you are the source of it. I mean, with the city and with the county, I'm already there from that, make any better with VS on for the year, Tyler and Spawn making blind to prevent the St. Louis district here. And man, that's a great proud of the work we do on the main side of this river, Missouri, Illinois, big, big part of this. We walk. Um, so if as you looked at recent events, I know the summer of 2022 is a severe, isolated, and extreme weather event, or other experiences you've had. Um, to you, and we get back at those tucked. Hey, 30 years ago was flooding, right? Uh, and then it made improvement since. As you look forward, what's technology for what you know, you working with for your app? See, what do you see at work? Could there be help from other agencies you could collaborate with? Knowing that you don't. Yeah, sure. No, and I'll expand on that. Um, and since I'm surrounded by the Corps of Engineers, um, I will. I do want to thank them. They are a big partner, not in the large flooding issues they have, but in the combined sewer overflow, those kind of discharge issues. The, the Corps has been a great partner in helping us serve uh, our constituents, especially those in North City and North County. That's been a great partnership we've had, I think, for 20 years now. So it's worked out very well. Um, so... What we're seeing and, and what goes on, so uh, to give you a frame of reference, and I use this especially at the public we talked to, prior to the storms in 2022, MSD had reported to it $700 million worth of flooding and creek erosion issues that were unfunded. That's before the flood in 2022. Now, the flood in 2022, um, the first part of July, second part of July, and for whatever this worked, to let you know, there was, if you recall in July, there were, two, I think it was July, there were two storms, kind of four days apart, hit about three quarters of our district, and then a month later, the southern part that got lucky, they got slammed with a 500-year storm that didn't make as many papers. So um, 
th that's an addition to. So I'll hit first simply the typical problem. What we're seeing pri prior to like the 2022 type event is we were getting little pockets of 500 year storms. Uh, hitting us. So it's not the big floodplains. It's not, you know, so it's not the stuff that makes the news. You don't see it. But think of a subdivision that's designed typically the way you design it. Maybe it's been there 40 years, 30 years, doesn't have the typical controls. Nobody thinks about, you know, they think about, hey, the storm sewers are here, the ditches are here, everything goes around, my house looks safe, I'm great. Nobody's thought about the 100 and 500 year mass event that occurs and that poor house that was located in the little low area that when the 500 year storm comes that nobody thinks about that's where all the water in the subdivision goes flying around either side of the house we have a lot of instances that's what was really happening before us in 2022 we were seeing isolated events and there's other isolated type pieces like that that occur uh the city of st louis or not city of st louis the whole area at times stormwater and wastewater unfortunately was disposed of in sinkholes so these big drainage areas of sinkholes the problem with sinkholes is sometimes they work sometimes they don't so we've got homes throughout the area that at the time they were built 80 90 years ago we're counting on sinkholes to drain them they don't and we get a big storm it fills up and they get four feet of water on the side of their house so we got that kind of issue and probably then the biggest thing that is correctable especially if there's funding there is a large number of homes um, that are in the mapped floodplain and they continuously get flooded um, and, you know, MSD, once we get a chance to get involved, obviously the Corps of Engineers works with us on that as to what is the problem if it's large enough. I, I'm not really sure what the parameter is, but there's places where the store, Corps can help us do the studies. What are the solutions? Uh, I think our tact has been moving forward. Um, doesn't require a lot of technical information, but if you've been flooded, Mother Nature's telling you maybe you shouldn't be there. And it's one thing to engineer, and the Corps works with us on these all the time. There's always a, an engineering solution that takes care of a piece of it. But I will tell you, once you do some work, if somebody still floods every 20 years, they kind of don't care what the payback is. They just don't want to be there. And so if we ever got any flooding, you know, we want to do that. I think this last storm did that and the one thing not to forget about also is they also increased the instances of creek erosion so past building practices detention basins are great they keep flooding from happening but they keep the creek filled for a longer period and causes erosion and these larger storms are just making it worse so those homes that we're talking about to try and protect there it's not that they get flooded but the creek erodes, and if you don't do something about it, the creek erodes and the building eventually falls in the creek. We've had homes that have had to be uh, condemned uh, by the municipalities because of these these types of issues. And uh, it's sometimes hard for folks to see. Sometimes you don't see it coming. And um, it's a difficult communication, quite honestly, a somewhat difficult political issue to have a municipality remove tax-generating properties from the floodplain. It's a very hard discussion that we keep having with the area. So I think for Chris, one last thing, um, you get to hear the non-sales pitch. So um, one of the things I mentioned, the disjointed way the area was developed, and I think everybody's familiar with uh, the correct or incorrect parochialism that kind of that is in the area. So um, MSD was set up to help resolve some of these issues regionally. Um, 
we think it's a good issue. We 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 know that we've got the public coming to us. Please help us solve this. Um, the last time we tried to provide a fund to solve this was in 2019. It got voted down 53 to 47. So MSD doesn't have a fund, and we're really a good regional source to help prioritize that stuff. So I would just encourage everybody, it will be on the ballot again in 2024, a measure to generate dollars to start addressing these issues, especially the low-hanging fruit like people who are in floodplains or in flooding every three, four years. So I am not advocating that you say yes or no. I'm just asking, we try to educate people as much as we can. I'd ask, educate yourself, understand what we're asking for. You may decide it's not a good idea, but if you decide, we want you to go to the ballot box educated so you vote yes or no for the right reason. So that was that's the only sales pitch I had. Um, so just brief intro myself and use this as an organization. Um, again, my name is Matt Duke, as uh, Kevin said. Uh, I am a uh, PLS and I'm a GISP uh, within the geospatial community. Um, Spell is a spell is that all right? So PLS professional land surveyor, licensed professional land surveyor, and GISP is a geographic information system professional. So uh, license and certification within the geospatial community. And uh, so I'll talk about my background here real quick. But one of the things I've tried to do throughout my career career is you know I didn't want to just be a cartographer. I didn't want to just be a developer. I didn't want to just be a surveyor. You know I've I've tried to take college level courses, you know, be involved in the geospatial aspect within the private sector and, you know, coming into the government in all aspects of geospatial rather than just, you know, one little niche. So that way I can cover a lot of lanes. And I think it's helped me to, to get where I'm at now as we'll go through. So um, undergraduate degree from Bloomsburg University, graduate degree from George Mason University, um, started my career with Parsons Engineering. Um, there I was a GIS analyst, um, worked for I believe it was called at the time Tickum Ranges, or no, Tickum Live, then it was Tickum Ranges. I think it's called something else now, but uh, through Tradoc. Um, as a 20-year-old, I got to travel the world going to Army and Marine Corps installations, surveying in live fire ranges, training facilities, and then making base maps and the military installation maps for our military. So as a 20 year old, got to travel all over the world doing that kind of work. Some places were very nice as uh, Kevin will tell you, some weren't, but you know, as a 20 year old, it was probably the best job I could have ever had. So, uh, so did that. Uh, and then as the nature of it, I was a contractor, you know, it kind of gets squirrely. Um, so I was like, all right, I want to, I want to go into the government and, and be on that side of the fence and see how things work. So took a job with the Army Corps of Engineers, was in Galveston, Texas, uh, Galveston District within USACE. Um, was down there five years um, doing, again, geospatial work, and then I crossed over into the survey side, a hydro survey chief, hydro survey chief in Galveston. Uh, you think about it, all the different ports on the Texas coast and even up into Louisiana, you have a very critical role down there um, with all of the, the oil imports and everything we have going on. So uh, it, it, was, it was a very exciting experience. Um, got to live through a couple tropical storms, Hurricane Harvey. So that was, uh, that was an event. Uh, and then from there, came up to St. Louis here to take on a, uh, a role in uh, geomatics and photogrammetry. So I was up here for a number of years, and then just recently, uh, last year, I started with 
um, the UCOP program out of uh, USA's headquarters. So um, the UCOP program, what I'm here to talk about, is uh, an enterprise program within the Corps of Engineers. And what we do is we have an enterprise geospatial program um, that, that's rolled out to the entire, entire Corps of Engineers um, for everything from data collection, data management, aggregation, you know, mapping, visualization, all, all sorts of elements of that. So yeah, again, UCOP, the USACE Common Operating Picture, enterprise program within USACE. So one of the things that we focus on is the emergency management side and uh, the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center. So within the Corps of Energy, of course, you have a government structure, a headquarters, you have different regions throughout the United States, and then you have your local districts that we'll call them. So what we do within this enterprise system is we provide the framework and a location for all this data to be consolidated so that way um, the d data that's being seen at the district is seen at the region, is seen at the headquarters. Um, so that way there, there's one kind of view that everybody's seeing, because especially in an emergency, you don't want to look at a, a green map and a red map and a blue map to cover from all over the country. You got to you gotta have some kind of commonality to it. Now, as you go from district to district, they will tell you right away that they are special and they have, you know, they're unique and that type of thing. But, you know, there are commonalities between it. You know, we have business lines within the Corps of Engineers. There are some similarities. So, you know, when we're presenting to those general officers in D.C. at headquarters, you know, they need to see some kind of similarity between what's happening in St. Louis District versus Galveston District versus Omaha District, you know, all over the place. So um, so what we have is, you know, within the EM community, again, all of our data is consolidated within the UCOP framework. So um, as I said, we have um, the data in there, but what we're trying to do is do more than just be an enterprise. You know, everybody talks about geospatial enterprise. You know, we have a server, all our data goes on there. Yada, yada, yada. But what we're trying to do is make sure we have templates and systems available, again, for emergency management. So that way, when the Mississippi River floods, we're not floundering around trying to figure out how to build maps and present all this data and project it down to headquarters or division. You know, we have these templates ready to go. You snap them in, and then you start adjusting on the fly rather than building um, from scratch. So um, an example would be, you know, we had low water last year, I believe it was, a year and a half ago, maybe. So went through, built a bunch of templates in there. Um, you know, the St. Louis District, Vicksburg District, you know, all the way down the Mississippi River, built these templates, you know, designed all of these different um, reporting mechanisms for the districts to report to the divisions, the regional offices, and then to report to headquarters so that way they could see what was going on. Um, and then this spring, boom, went right back into low water. So again, rather than reinventing the wheel, having new people trying to figure out what are we doing, how are we going to present it, they were pulling templates down. And again, it's a, it's a different, uh, it's the same look and feel, so that way you're able to present in the same manner. Luckily, you know, it was so close together, it was pretty much the same uh, command structure in place. But, you know, as you cross command structures, you know, some of that may change. Hey, I want to see this in a different color than that. You know, little things change here and there. But, you know, again, you have a general template put together that um, allows you to be able to actually report on what you're doing versus building maps. Yeah. So, yeah, I did want to start with the the, uh, the low water since it's a local thing. So and, and we're, we're talking about water. So I was like, I'll go the opposite way and say, talk about no water. So but, you know, obviously hurricanes are a big 
prominent thing on the news. Everybody sees them. Everybody panics whenever they're coming ashore. You know, you have a lot of effort uh, going into that. You got winds, you got water rising, flooding, um, c flooding coming from both directions, from the rain coming downstream and then the water coming onland. Um, so that is a big kicker for us in, in UCOP and within the, the EM community. So one of the things, again, building templates and systems, um, you know, we have things at the ready to deploy whenever those uh, events happen. And what we have is uh, emergency support function number three. Uh, we use ACES tasked through FEMA to go out and respond to different types of engineering events. So most notably after a hurricane, um, there's uh, temporary roofing, temporary housing, debris removal, um, uh, infrastructure assessment, uh, temporary power. That's the one that goes all the time. I don't know why I didn't think of that one first. So, um, but yeah, so we have all these different uh, functions that we support FEMA with. So again, those are supported through the UCOP. So what we have is again, templates and systems built in place. And I'll use the roofing as an example, because we have a really complex system. We call it uh, BRMS, the Blue Roof Management System. So it is a system where we can actually go out from start to finish. Um, we have a public facing uh, site where people can go out and say, hey, my roof was damaged. You know, the insurance company can't uh, assess it fast enough. The, the contractors are too um, backed up. They can't come out and put a new roof on my house. I need assistance to put a stop gap in place. So what the Corps does is they go out and they put the, the blue tarps on the house or uh, on the roofs to kind of give them some uh, leeway until, until industry can catch up. So what we do is we have a public facing site where those homeowners can go to and they can, they can log in, they can sign their house up. It goes into our enterprise system and it just starts into uh, a, a process we have where we'll go ahead and what used to happen, the progression of the system was we used to have people boots on the ground, go to the house, assess, say, okay, they need 10 square meters of, of tarp and that type of thing. Where we're at now with this system is we develop it to the point where we're pulling in imagery and we're doing that assessment. We can draw in the application that we've built. We've had, we have developers and programmers um, and it will actually calculate that square area based on the pitch of the house. And then we're able to send out a work order to our contractors and they are able to um, go out and put that roof on. So what is that doing? That's saving time. So now instead of, um, we have a metric and, and I was trying to look it up beforehand, um, but say it was taken, you know, 10 days to get a roof on before. But now with this automated system through imagery that we can have anybody anywhere in the Corps of Engineers in the country going out and looking at this imagery, assessing that roof and then sending it to the contractor, you know, we could have a roof on in seven days, six days. You know, I, I don't know the exact number. Don't don't quote those. But uh, it has definitely been uh, an improvement. So um, those are things that we're working on within the system. Um, to automate those. Again, now the contractor has access to the system. They're able to pull down those roofs, those addresses, and they're able to go to um, assess those houses, put the put the tarps on, and then they're able to enter into the system on their side to say, hey, this is done. And they're able to enter their, their documentation to say how much material they used um, and go from there. So um, we do that with, with several of, several of our um, ESF3 programs. I was looking at... Um, some different things we're going to go to the next slide from this one. Um, but so things that we're looking at within the, the UCOP community for future, what we're trying to look towards, um, predictive analytics. We're trying to get past just doing what's in front of us and wait until we get hit 
and attacking. You know, we want to look at, okay, here's the storm's path. You know, how many houses are going to be affected on this? Do you think we'll have a mission? Because, you know, we're not going to deploy this million, million, millions of dollars teams if only two houses are, are damaged. You know, there's got to be, there's a threshold somewhere. Um, so we want to look at, at those kind of predictive analytics. You know, um, the example I'm showing here is, you know, now, right now we're looking at machine learning. We are, we are training a model right now to assess um, the roofing damage. So as I discussed, we have people manually going in, looking at imagery and basically drawing polygons around the roofing damage. So what we have a team doing right now is they're going in using the machine learning. They're training the machine to say, hey, this is what damaged uh, shingles look like. You know, here, here, you know, you, you train that model and then you allow it to run. So after a storm hits, we let that model run and it'll tell us um, these are the homes that are damaged. The model that they're currently working on, trying to get uh, that we're that we're in beta testing with, you know, it's giving us an assessment score. So, you know, again, it's a machine learning. It's got you know kinks and flaws here and there, but it's giving us assessments to say, hey, this is a highly accurate. This is a clean image. We know that these these shingles, we, they think it's a 98% um, fix that these shingles are missing. So we can send those teams immediately to those sites and say, hey, go put these roofs on because we're very, very confident that this is a correct assessment on the house. Now, when we get in the 50s and 40s and all that, now we go to the more traditional, hey, have an actual person sit down, put eyes on that imagery and assess, is this a shadow? Is this solar panel? Is this shingles? You know, what, what are we dealing with here? So the machine learning is something that, that we're definitely going down the path of. And of course, you know, once you're in that machine learning world, now you're talking, okay, well, where does AI take us? You know, how can it start automatically assessing what's happening um, to, again, in the, in the roofing world, tell us, you know, where are these houses at? You know, how many developments, you know, are correlated that, you know, we need to just send a team into one development and we'll knock out 20% of the damaged roofs, you know, so we, we can focus our assets to the, the quickest number of uh, fixes we can. Again, like uh, Kevin said, it's, uh, you know, the idea is getting people back to normal as fast as possible. So anything we can do to speed up the time, you know, having the remote imagery, having the machine learning, how does AI get us to getting people's lives back to normal as fast as possible? So, um, Matt, a question. Um, what does it look like when the AI is wrong? Kind of curious about that. Or have you found that the AI is wrong in the, just in that example of like roof damage? Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of curious about that. Or is that not an issue that you all are facing? And the reason I'm asking it is mainly like thinking about the conversations around artificial intelligence and uh, the writer strikes and all the places that like maybe we don't really need it in the arts world, but like the really awesome, awesome uses of it when it comes to things like this. Um, so I'm just wondering if it's wrong ever and what that looks like and how you can um, counteract that. I don't know. Just curious. Yeah, so in the machine learning algorithms that we've developed so far that our teams are developing, yeah, there again, there's there's confidence levels it's providing. So if there's clear a house and a clearing, you know, it, with good imagery, you know, it's probably going to have a confidence score pretty high. You know, when you get into a home that has shadows on it or, like I said, solar panels or maybe even a, a tree laying on top of it. There's not much we could do at that point, but you know, those are things that it's gonna look at and it may confuse it for 
for damage. I mean, again, that's where we're looking at those confidence scores and trying to figure out, okay, is this something we're going to rely on the machine learning for, or are we going to actually put a person on it? Um, again, it's not, it's at this point, like I said, we're, we're still testing it. So it's nothing that we're fully relying on. Um, it's something that's still in development. And again, it's with AI and I've seen all the, the things, it's nothing we're trying to replace people with. Again, it's going back to, we're trying to get people's lives back to normal as fast as possible. So however we can do our jobs faster, you know, we have to do that for the good of people. So, um, yeah. So like the, there, there are instances to, to answer your question directly. There are instances where, yeah, it is wrong and, and we just mitigate those and, and kick them back to the more traditional methods. Practical. I was doing a mic check here and it's a good practical way to make sure that, uh, um, you know, we inform the next generation, you know, do we talk about what we do in our day to day, you know, a practical experiment, right? I liked how you explained that. So, um, you know, anytime we're talking about geospatial capabilities or, uh, what's going on in our society, anytime you can learn it yourself and then pass it on to kids, school groups. And again, that's something we try to do here at T-Rex is try to engage with our next generation of the youth uh, that are coming up uh, behind us. So, all right. So for our last question, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. Matt, this is for you. Quick question around um, and something I'm, I'm also working on around predictive um, uh, analytics and weather. <clears throat> We've, I think there's a, been $100 billion of damage uh, in the United States due to weather over the last three years, and it's only going to get worse. So how are you guys thinking about better understanding what's going to come when it comes to disasters and catastrophes? You can't really predict man-made ones, but certainly from a weather perspective, is that playing into your geospatial strategy? So weather factors in, uh, again, we're more in a... Uh, I guess I should say a, re a response situation with ESF3, but e even EM, I mean, we are reacting to storms and events that happen. So, I mean, we, we look at the forecast to come out, prepare based on that. Something we are doing with weather, again, in those predictive analytic models is we do uh, curves to figure out how long missions are gonna go. Going back to the, the blue roof situation, you know, based on how many roofs they can put on a day, how many homes are in the in the equation, you know, we're trying to figure out how long is that mission going to last. You know, we got 40,000 homes, we're doing 1,000 a day, you do the math on that. So, but now we're getting into, okay, it's going to rain a day, we can't put a roof on when it's raining, you know, you're going to fall off the roof, slip, all that kind of thing, or you're not going to put 1,000 roofs on a day, you're not going to put 100 roofs a day, because you got to be extra cautious, whatever whatever it ends up being. So now, so what we're trying to do is build in those weather models based on the, the three-day, seven-day, 10-day predictions to figure out, okay, how is this actually projecting, changing our curve? So it's not going to be 40 days anymore, because there's, you know, a big storm coming in, it's going to impact three days. Now it's going to be you know, another, you know, 50 days. So, so things like that on the reactive side um, is, is where I can talk to as far as us within UCOP and what I've experienced within the core engineers. Thanks for the question. And thanks, Matt. Um, you know, uh, for that, for your answer, I think again, looking to partners, the national weather service, uh, USGS, another federal agency, um, and, and, you know, they contribute to understanding 
uh, the weather, how it may be changing and how it may become more severe in intensity and frequency. And so, you know, again, I think it's the showing the partnerships across local, state and national uh, agencies. And uh, and then it, we have a responsibility to inform the public, you know, and to try to keep communicating like this tonight and other venues to to keep learning and to keep the, you know, working on the preparation and then expediting that uh, response and recovery from those events. And so uh, I want to thank you both for being here and uh, for what you shared. I know it's only the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, of uh, all the work that both MSD and USACE, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, does. Uh, so we'll be sticking around here tonight. So if you didn't get enough T-Ravs or drinks this evening, it is Wednesday. So if I haven't pulled out the whiskey yet, we'll have that uh, you know, now or in the future. Uh, please help yourself. Uh, one last reminder, there will not be an Agritech Thursday here tomorrow night. Uh, but um, And then another form that I didn't mention, but um, once a month, the St. Louis Area Working Group of uh, the U.S. GIF uh, meets. And so later this month, on uh, the Wednesday, the 25th of October, that afternoon, USGF will be at uh, WashU. And again, later that evening, we'll be hosting an event here talking about the Hiring Our Heroes program. So if you want to know more, let me know one-on-one or please join uh, for that session. There will be a group of veterans here in the Midwest, upper Midwest, St. Louis, all the way up to Chicago, they're looking to wrap up their career and finish here and looking for companies and organizations to be a part of. And so I'll put that one last plug in there. So thank you again uh, for your time and uh, look forward to continue to network and socialize with you this evening. Thank you.